All right, this morning I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. And uh, specifically Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. Um, One of the condemnation of the sins of the nation of Israel uh, that was, if you will, a cause for a lot of their problems. A lot of the issues that they were having, a lot of the issues with captivity, a lot of the problems that they were having with, with bondage and, and, and just general, uh, if you will, unfavorable circumstances in their life was because of their heart and their attitude towards the things of God. And one of these verses clearly sticks out to me as something that is happening in this day and age. And in verse 14, the Bible talks about what's gone on, talks about the transgressions that are happening in Israel. And in verse 14, it says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to uh, just study your word and for us to see uh, what you desire for us as Christians to be to be godly and to mirror the examples that you've given to us in Scripture, to mirror the examples that you've given to us of you. Now, you expect us to behave. And Lord, I pray that as we discuss this subject this morning, as we look at it from your word, that Lord, it would be something that truly strikes a chord in us, and that Lord, we would seek to do justice and judgment in our lives. That Lord, we'd seek to please you, and we seek to honor you, and we seek to glorify you. I thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us, And pray, Lord, you be with me and my mouth, and that, Lord, all these things would be honoring unto you and pleasing in your sight. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we find here in this passage is we find something that, if you will, we can look at today and say justice and judgment, it's not present in this world. And the reason is, is because the world does not have truth. To them, truth is, 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 is subjective to that individual. They can sit there and say, well, I want to, this is my truth and this is your truth and so on and so forth. And, and truth, that's not truth. Truth has to have an absolute. Truth must be absolute. Otherwise, it cannot be truth in its own self. And, and again, you know, we see the arguments of the ridiculous nature of somebody arguing, say, there's no absolute truth. And you ask them, are you absolutely sure about that? And we see that they would adamantly say, well, yes, then there cannot be an absolute. Then that's not an absolute truth. And it creates a fallacy. Truth must be absolute. The truth is, you jump off of a five-story building, you're going to hurt yourself. Unless you have some sort of device to protect you, you are going to harm yourself. The truth is, is that if you drive 100 miles an hour past a a police officer, you are probably going to get a ticket. There's a truth behind that. 
There's a truth to consequences. Truth is, is that if you go out into this world and you just go haw, haw off and slap somebody on the street, there will be consequences. There will be truth to that, right? And in this day and age, we sit there and we look at it and we say, well, there should be those truths. There should be those consequences. But even today, I mean, just recently, we find an individual that goes out there and assaults police officers in New York City and walks out of the courtroom in a defiant manner, giving obscene gestures as they walk scot-free. And we sit there and go, where is justice? Where is justice? Where is the judgment? Who made that decision? Who made that call? And I would like to take us just a moment for us to realize that while the world calls for these things, they have no idea what drew, what that even really truly means to ask for justice and for judgment. You know, they talk about equity. They talk about equality. They talk about all of these things that they, they want in this world, but they don't understand just anything about it because those are principles that are principles of God. And a world cannot understand the principles of God without the Holy Spirit teaching them. Without the Word of God being present. Without Christ to, if you will, galvanize and bring that relationship to know the things of God together. We find that this is a, you know, a sad case in this day and age. It was a sad case back when Israel was going through it. It's a sad case today. And we know what's going to happen because of those things. Or there's going to be some harsh judgments. There's going to be, if you will, calamities that come upon us as, as, as a nation because we've disregarded these things. But as believers, we can still live these in our Christian life. We can still have, if you will, an influence on the world. A definition of what justice is. Let's, let's kind of define it because, again, people don't understand what even these words mean anymore. They will say justice and judgment and then they, and, and they'll have no idea what that even respond, what, what that means. Justice is in the definition, impartiality, equal distribution of right. And if you will, the etymology of it is a moral soundness and a conformity to truth. That's what justice is. That's why we find in this passage, truth being fallen in the streets means that justice is ignored. Justice would be ignored because there can be no conformity to truth or moral soundness if those standards and that truth does not exist. In this day and age, people just have no standards anymore. And if they do have a standard, it's a standard of, of, if you will, lasciviousness. It's a standard where uh, they, they just allow all sorts of whatever to come in, and there's no one standard by which we should obey. But we find that God has standards. He communicates to them in our in the Scripture He's given us, in the Bibles that we have. 
Now, again, you know, when we start talking about standards, let's understand the standard of this. The standard is, is that man has sin. Man has a sin problem that has to be taken care of. Man's sin will send him to hell. And if it's not taken care of, then we will be in hell. There's a standard. Why? Because God is holy and righteous and will not allow sin into heaven. He does not want sin. He does not like sin. He hates sin, but he loved his creation and he gave himself for it. The standard is Jesus Christ's righteousness. And the only way that we can receive that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We find that as truth. We find that as truth. The definition of judgment is the act or process of the mind in comparing its ideas to find their agreement or disagreement with the truth. It's also judgment is to ascertain what the truth really is. Do that in a court of law. They bring in exhibits of, uh, of evidence. They bring in uh, expert witnesses. They bring in witnesses to testify of what they saw, what they heard, what has taken place. They, they do all those things to ascertain the truth of whether a person is guilty or not guilty, whether they are responsible for compensation or whether they are not. All of these things, that's the principle of our legal system. That's why if we begin to remove truth... We will remove justice. And all of a sudden people start saying, well, where is the justice in this world? And they see a world that is without justice. And I will tell you this, the reason that that is, is because we removed truth a long time ago. We removed truth from the home. We removed truth from schools. We removed truth from business. We removed truth from government. And what do I mean by that? Jesus Christ made it clear, thy word, the Bible, scripture, the word of God is truth. Once that's removed, justice and judgment will be removed. Justice and judgment will be removed. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I want us to to get to the the meat of the matter this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, he makes a statement to Israel here. It is applicable to us. Matthew chapter 5 and in verse uh, 14, he says, Ye are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, Israel was supposed to be a light to the world. We as believers today are children of light. We are light of the world. He says, Ye are light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Why? Because its light shines forth. He says, neither doth men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I want us to understand this principle. The light isn't about us. The light isn't about what good works we do. The light isn't about how good we are. The light is about how good God is. Notice here that that light causes men to glorify God. Not the person holding the candlestick. Not the person that is lit the candlestick. None of that nature. 
It's God himself who is light, as we find in John chapter 1. He is the one that is the, the, he's the one that receives the glory. He is the one that when the world truly looks at what we do and why we do it, the one that sits there and says very clearly that that's only God. Only he can do those things. Only he can do those things. It's that they may see your good works and glorify God, which is in heaven. Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It shows that relationship. It shows that connection. And I get to this verse to point out this, that a man of God, a woman of God, does display this in their life. Justice and judgment. Justice and judgment. Well, how do we know these things? It's a character of a believer. It's a character of a believer. Turn over to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, God is talking to Abraham. And uh, we're, we're, we're coming upon the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's interesting when you read this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, a lot of people have this idea and this mindset that the angels grabbed and they were running uh, uh, out of the city as the fire was coming down. Go back over and read that, by the way. That's not the way that whole thing took place. No, they took them out of the area and said, go to the mountain. And Lot said, no, I want to go to that city. It's a small city. It's a little city. I can go there. I'll die in the mountain. And the angels allowed them to go into that city, and then they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They weren't running from it, as like imagery would paint it. But anyways, I, I, I digress. In, 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 in Genesis chapter 18, I want you to see here in, in verse 19, this is the Lord talking to Abraham, uh, talking about what's going to happen to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be destroyed. And then we have Abraham pleading for the righteous. And in verse 19, the Lord says of this, for I know of him, that's a, uh, Abraham, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? To do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. The way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. What we begin to find is that this is a principle that God expects of godly men and godly women. That he expects of believers. Abraham believed God at his word and for it was counted righteousness unto him. But what we find here is God knew Abraham and God knew what he was going to teach his children. You're like, well, he only had a couple, you know, he only had Ishmael and Isaac. No, he had more children after that. He had more children after that. 
But one thing that God knew of Abraham, what he was going to do is he was going to teach his kids right. He was going to teach him justice and judgment. He was going to teach to them, if you will, the conformity to the truth, to ascertain what the truth is. And what we as believers have to understand today is that that is a principle of what we do on a day-to-day basis. That we look at and we objectively seek God's input in what is truthful and what is not truthful in our life. We make a judgment saying, this is truth, and I will abide by it. This is truth, so I will, in justice, conform my actions and words to that truth, to that moral soundness, so that I will exhibit impartiality in every area of my life. Because again, we know this of God. God is not a respecter of persons. God does not care about your ethnic background. He does not care about your gender. He does not care about your education level. He sees you as a soul that needs to be saved. And he either sees you as a soul that needs to be saved or soul that is saved. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He died for the sins of the world. Not just one person, but for everyone. For everyone. Turn, if you will, over to Second Samuel. We find that Abraham's generations, what happened, there was justice and judgment. And I'll tell you this, if we begin to keep the ways of the Lord as as Abraham did, we will have that being taught. We will have that, you know, being displayed in our lives to bring glory to God. In Second Samuel chapter 8, we find here again a mention of justice and judgment. Second Samuel chapter 8. <clears throat> And I like the last phrase of verse 14. You just got to read that last phrase of verse 14. It says, the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And why was that? What was the reason why? And David reigned over Israel, uh, all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. If there's one thing that God says of what happened in David's life, is he executed judgment and justice is he was ruling all over all these individuals, one thing was apparent is he did not go through, if you will, a roughshod of his responsibilities of being king. He executed that judgment and justice. Now, he made some mistakes in his personal life, and he made some mistakes as king. Let's not, you know, just wash that away. But let's understand that, you know, those are in there to get us to understand we can and we will make mistakes. We will sin. How we deal with it afterwards is the important part. Follow the way that David did it. In full repentance. In corrective action. In making a change in your life. So it doesn't happen again. Those things making it right and restoring the relationship with God. 
But what we find here is David as a man that was after God's own heart, as, as God said of him. We find that what he does in a godly manner is this. He executed judgment and justice. His decision-making processes were following after the godly pattern. They were following after truth. And again, understand, he had to have a very close relationship with the Lord in order to do that. Why? Because they did not have the completed scriptures at this time. They, they had, uh, you know, again, the, the books of Moses, the books of law. Maybe Job was lying around somewhere, but, the, but, but that's about it. They may have had some historical stuff starting to be written down, but when it came to the things uh, as far as a complete, no, it was being written by David himself at this point in time, in Psalms, in the history that he was doing, and he was making. All of this being documented. So what did he have to do? He had to have a very close relationship with the Lord. Here we are today, we have the completed words of God right in front of us. Perfect, preserved, given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you cannot ignore the Bible. You cannot ignore Scripture. This is something that the Old Testament believers and New Testament believers did not have. But here we are in this day and age to be blessed with it, and a lot of people disregard it. It's not that important. No, it is. It is. Why? Because you're not going to know what is truth to exercise judgment and justice so that you can demonstrate to the world the good works so that God gets the glory. Therein lies the issue. But what we find here is that David's legacy, you know, here he is succeeding Abraham, is this, you know, him being again a child of Abraham, coming from Isaac and from Jacob and from Judah, what we find is we find that David, he may be remembered for other things in the, you know, that he did. He may be remembered for killing Goliath. He may be remembered for the sin with Bathsheba. He may be remembered for other things that are out there. But when it comes to what the commission of God, uh, that, that, uh, that he, God had given to David as king, that if you will, ordination, we find this statement that he did what? That he executed judgment and justice to all his people. A godly pattern. A godly pattern. Take a look at First Kings. First Kings chapter 10. First Kings chapter 10. We move on from David and we move on to his son. And Solomon, who was the wisest man, who simply asked God when he was asked of God, well, well what is it that you want, Solomon? And Solomon could ask for, oh, he could ask for anything. But he said, I don't know how to lead these people. I just need some, I just need some understanding. I, I, I need some help. And God gives him wisdom. God gives him wisdom in such a way that this wisdom glorifies God. 
Because look at this, here comes the queen of Sheba that has heard about the wisdom that is coming from Solomon's mouth and realizes there's something very different about this wisdom. There's something very different about what is going on in Israel. All these people coming to hear, she's got to hear it for herself. And here's her response when she hears it and sees what's going on. Here's a Gentile queen. A Gentile queen, and if you will, an example of what Israel was supposed to be doing. This Gentile queen sees something. And in verse 9, she says, Blessed be the Lord thy God. She realizes exactly who Solomon's God is. And that's the Lord. And what does she respond with? Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made thee king to do justice and judgment, or judgment and justice. And that is an important principle that we need to understand. When we talk about what judgment and justice is, and we talk about its you know, again, the conformity to truth, the ascertaining of truth, we really realize that this is what we're supposed to be doing in our Christian life. David and Solomon are set as examples. You're like, well, they're kings. Well, God has asked us to do things that are very, if you will, kingly. He's asked us to, to execute these same things as we'll find in Scripture here as we continue on. But I want to use these three examples. Abraham wasn't a king. But from him, we see that, if you will, that prophecy that was given about what he would do, and he find his children, if you will, David and Solomon, many generations later, doing exactly what was being taught. Judgment and justice. Judgment and justice. People today look for the government to execute judgment and justice. But what needs to happen first and foremost is judgment and justice needs to be executed in our heart. Now that word execution is a legal term. It's it's definitely a legal term. Because one of the things that we find about what we do with, with documents, with all sorts of laws and things of like that, is there is a process called execution. Now, when we think of the word execution, often we think of something else. We think of execution as in lethal injection, beheading, hanging, firing squad, you know. We think of it in, in, in that way. But execution is more than that. That may be part of some of the legal aspect of things, but when we execute a document or we execute agreement, it's where people have agreed to do something. And they're actually taking those actions and responsibilities and obligations and begin performing them. So when we talk about executing judgment and justice, this is something that we perform in our day-to-day life. It's not just something that we think about doing. It's something that we actually do. 
we find very clearly that Abraham taught it. David and Solomon executed it. They did it. So as believers today, we should follow the pattern of Abraham, know what justice and judgment is, teach that to our children so that they would execute it in their lives. This is a process of what real, true, godly Christians do. This is what we do. And we find this pattern that is set up, and we find that it's very clearly a pattern of testimony and witness. Like Matthew 5 was talking about, we find right here a pattern of testimony and witness with Solomon. a pattern and a testimony of witness with Solomon, that here would come a queen that would sit there and go, there is no way that this is going to happen. There's no way all of this took place except the Lord did it. And I'll tell you, there is no way that judgment and justice can be executed in your life unless there is an allowance of God to work in you unless there is an allowance of the word of God to work in you, unless there is an allowance of his spirit to work in your hearts so that what is in your hearts will come out of your mouth and will come forth in the actions that we do. And why is this important? Because we're going to be faced with everyday decisions We're going to be faced with everyday decisions and we have to make a decision about what is true. We have to make a decision about whether it conforms to truth. We have to make sure that we make decisions about how is it related to that truth. If it's not related, if we don't know the word of God, we will never know what that truth is. So as a believer, we, we begin making these decisions. We begin making the, the, these things so that the world can see them and begin to glorify God. Not just for the purpose of, uh, of, uh, of, if you will, pleasing ourselves, because there's the partiality. What real justice is? Justice is, if you will, related to the charitable acts, meaning what do we do? We set aside the things of ourselves. We set aside those things that are going to affect us. And we start asking the question of, is this going to bring glory to God? We ask that about our words. Before it comes out of our mouth, do we exercise judgment and justice? Is this truly what God would want? Is this truly what God would have me to say? Is this conforming to his truth? Am I being partial towards me or am I being impartial in relationship to the word of God and I'm going to speak only what the word of God says? Am I only going to do what God tells me to do? Am I going to have that moral soundness to it? that there is no sin involved in it. And I will tell you this, real justice does not involve sin. Justice 
according to God, cannot involve sin. We look at our legal system today and we go, there's a lot of sin going on. I'm sure all of us can think of things that that we look at that we would want to make a change in our justice system. But I'll tell you this, the only way we're going to make a real true change in our justice system is if it goes back to the principles of godly standards. If it goes back to the moral soundness and truth of the word of God. Instead of opinion. Instead of, if you will, activism. It will go back to, very specifically, the truth and the principles of godly actions, deeds, and thoughts, and words. This is a pattern we are supposed to represent. And as part of that pattern, if you will, it's a godly trait. Judgment and justice is a godly trait. And it cannot be ignored that real justice and real judgment requires truth to be present. We cannot ignore that. But what we have to understand, that one source of truth, which is Christ, the word of God, must be present when justice and judgment is being executed. That means we have to have a close relationship with God. A close relationship with who he is. Turn to Psalm chapter 89. Psalm chapter 89, this may be one that may be familiar with you, but in Psalm chapter 89, he says this, talking about God. And I would endeavor, if you really want to know God, start reading the book of Psalms. Start reading the book of Psalms. Because Psalms will begin to show you exactly who God is. Psalms is a pivotal book of the, uh, of the Bible in that you will understand exactly what he wants and what his desires are and the way he thinks and the way he operates because all the Psalms are about is praising who he is and what he's done. These aren't psalms about man. These are psalms about God. They're messianic in nature. They're prophetic in nature. They're talking about what he has done and what he will do and what he does currently. It's all about him. But in verse 14, we find something that's mentioned about him. It says, judgment and justice are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. He says right there, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Where his throne is, is built upon that justice and judgment that is based upon that truth. That is also based upon mercy. The truth of the matter is this, is that, you know, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and not one of us here is worthy of salvation. Not one of us can stand up and say, you know what? God saved me because he knew I was, that he needed me. No. No, God doesn't need anybody to be complete. God is already complete and perfect. We find that from the book of Psalms. 
But what we find is we find that in order to establish the authority of who God is, he has obligated himself to the principles of justice and judgment with truth. And in order to do that, truth has to be present. He is truth. We find that this is, if you will, the establishment of who he truly is. It's godly. It's a pattern we should follow after. It's something that we should mirror in our lives. Something Abraham taught, something Abraham mirrored. It's something David taught to Solomon and mirrored. And it's something that Solomon mirrored for a time. We realize that we as believers must do the same. We cannot allow it, as we find over there in Isaiah chapter 59, to, to, to be, you know, thrown in the gutter with, along with truth and everything else. To be just cast aside at a whim. To do that is to ignore who God truly is. To do that, to, to say, well, I don't need God to make the right kind of just judgments in my life. I don't need God to do the justice. It, it, what we're doing is we're saying that God doesn't matter. And, and, and we as believers can't do that. God matters. He matters for our salvation. He must matter in our everyday life when we make those decisions that conform to the truth. That conform to that moral standard and soundness of His holiness. When we say, does what I'm about to say or do and if I judge myself first, before I go start judging anyone else, judge myself first. God talks about that also in the book of Matthew. The whole moat and the beam thing, right? Sometimes it's a small little thing, and we're trying to pick it out, and we've got a bigger problem. And you know what we do? We just make it worse. We just make it worse. Here we are trying to pick a little piece of wood out of somebody's eye, and we've got this big old honking stick coming out of ours. We're trying to pick it out, and what are we doing? We're slapping the person upside the head with it. <laughs> Hold still, whack. Hold still, I'm trying to get it, whack. And you're like, well, you're beating me over the head. Therein lies the problem. But God says we judge ourselves first. Am I conforming? Can I ascertain that the truth of the word of God is in me and everything that I'm doing is, is, is conforming to God? If that's the case, then, then I have to be careful about what I say to others. Because that's the first step. That's the first step. It's godly. It's the habitation of his throne. You go over to the book of Ezekiel and you start reading about the throne. That stuff's wild. That stuff's wild. And I, I, I've seen artists try to try to put into pictures what cherubim and seraphim and the whole wheels within the wheels and all that looks like. I don't think any of them do any justice. And I'll tell you this. 
A cherubim with a flaming sword standing in the Garden of Eden has got to be one of the most terrifying things that have known to mankind. The thing's got eyes all over the place. You can't sneak up behind it. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine Adam and Eve sitting there thinking, I'm not saying that they did. This is just my speculation and my, if you will, imagination running wild. Could you imagine them sitting there thinking, we need to get to, so we can get that tree of life. Let's go ahead and try to sneak in there. First time they try to sneak in there, there's the cherubim. What you doing? Uh, what do you want? Uh, we're going to go get, no, you're not. <laughs> Big old flaming sword. I don't even, I don't even think they, that thought even crossed their mind. They probably looked at that and go, we'd die. You ever look at a situation like that where you're sitting there going, I'd die. You just judge it right there and then. You're like, I'd be dead. I can't, nope, I can't do that. I'd, 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 I'd be, I'd be dead. You know, there's things like that. You know, downhill skiing. I look at that and I go, I'd be dead. People with the nickname crash and burn don't downhill ski. They don't snowboard. They don't do stuff like that. But there it is. The throne of God. Brilliant description. We see what Isaiah saw. What Isaiah saw with the coals of fire and all the things that are there, an amazing, what John saw, the brief little scene that he saw in, 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 in heaven over there in the book of Revelation. I mean, very clearly we, we see all these things pointing to God and we look at those and go, man, that's an amazing thing. Looking at the, the throne of God and seeing it surrounded like a complete circle of a rainbow that is only green. That is it of an emerald representing the life. And I'm just like, wow, that is an amazing thing to even think about. But do we think upon what it's built upon? The principles of the holiness of God. And then God turns around and says, be ye holy as I am holy. God says that. So what does he expect of me? Holiness. Holiness. And to exhibit that holiness, I need to know what the truth is. So that I can do that judgment. So that I am just in what I do on a day-to-day basis. It's an interesting thought process. We start talking about the just man. Who he is and what he does. Well, he's one that conforms to this. He's one that conforms to this. And I will tell you this. Let's not kid ourselves. We can't bring anything to the table that's going to improve God. There is nothing that we can do that is going to, if you will, bring God to a point of completion, as I said. He's already complete. He's already perfect. He's already holy. Uh, beyond any stretch of our imagination. It, we're not God's gift to anything. And I, I kind of poke around with that. You know, sometimes people think they're God's gift to something. Sometimes people walk around and, you know, you, you get a guy that thinks he's God's gift to women. You ever run into that guy? 
You're like, seriously, dude, you just need to stop. Sometimes you get women thinking they're God's gift to men. And you're like, no, no, you're not. Sometimes you wind up getting people that think they're God's gift to the church. Those are ones that, as as, as Paul says, you mark. <laughs> you be careful with them. Let's get this straight. God can run a church without you. He doesn't need you. Sometimes, and we've had people like this come into this church. They think they're God's gift to the church because they provide all the finances for it. I'm like, nope, God does. God has always taken care of this church financially. Praise God. I just sit there and I go, wow. So let's understand this. It doesn't matter what we bring. God would rather see judgment and justice done in your life than for you to bring any sacrifice to him. Turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 23. Proverbs chapter 23. I'll close with this. Proverbs chapter uh, 21. Proverbs, excuse me. Proverbs chapter 21. <clears throat> the principle starts off with, again, a king. In verse 1 where he says... The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as uh, the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God's in control. God will always be in control. That's the sovereignty of God, okay? Let's just understand that. He will always be in control. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. Those are the individuals that say, well, it's my truth. No, it's not. It's not about your truth. It's about the truth of God. The truth of who he is and what he has done. His principles, his laws, his statutes, his precepts, his judgments, his commandments. And here he says in verse 3 this, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Rather than, if you will, giving one cent to a church, rather than giving one minute of your time to church, rather than giving whatever it may be that you put on that altar, God said, I would rather see you do something godly than that. I would rather see you conform to the truth. I would rather see you try to ascertain the truth. I would rather see you execute impartiality, setting yourself aside and executing, if you will, the judgment of God about what is right and what is wrong than trying to give some sort of sacrifice. Because that sacrifice doesn't mean a lot to God if there is no truth in the heart of that person. I'll say it again. 
If there is no conformity to the truth of the Word of God, God does not care about your sacrifice. As a matter of fact, when the nation of Israel tried to do that, he grew to loathe it. To hate it. Here they are saying, oh, we love God. We're going to sacrifice our sheep. We're going to give our bullock on the altar. We're going to do our heave offering and our wave offering. And God's up there sitting there going, because it disgusts him. Because it repulses him. It's about a standard of truth. God wants us to conform to that. To conform to those things. And I have to bring up this one final verse. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. where he says very clearly in verse 2 and be not conformed to this world don't conform to the truth that the world thinks is truth don't be conformed to what they think is right Because just to give you a quick example, what the world thinks is right is they think it rained on a rock and an amoeba formed and transferred into some sort of fish that became some sort of walking creature on land that became an ape that became a human. And that according to the principles of evolution, it's survival of the fittest, and that means this, is that if you are not fit to survive, you deserve to die. And if you don't think that people believe that today, go look at what's happening over up in uh, our neighbors to the north. Over in Canada nowadays, if they view you as having a mental illness, they're putting laws in place to execute them. They will execute you if they think you have a mental disorder. I'm like... Great Scott, Nazi Germany. Um, okay. <laughs> Thought we kind of defeated those guys in World War II, but apparently they're still around. And they're now taking up residence up north. <clears throat> it's what happens when you ignore truth. Yeah. And that's what the, that's what they think is truth. But I know this. The truth that, that, that I am transformed by, that transforms my mind in the rest of that verse is this. God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, shall not perish, but shall have what? Everlasting life. For God's commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ what? Died for us. There's a truth. The truth is, when it comes to judgment and justice, God loved you. He died for you. 
He rose from the dead for you so that you could have a relationship with Him. And if you are here today and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, that is something you need to do today and receive the mercy and grace of God in your life this morning. Believer, if you're here today, do your deeds and words match the judgment and justice of the habitation of the throne of God. Abraham mirrored it and taught it. David mirrored it and taught it. Solomon exemplified it so that it was a witness and a testimony of the glory of God. Believer, execute judgment and justice in your life today. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that you've given to us. And I thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to hear from you and to see what you desire of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would conform to you, that we would be transformed by your word and your Holy Spirit, by your truth, Lord. That we would not be conformed to the ways or the truths of this world. The so-called, the supposed truths that are simply lies. But Lord, we have a desire, Lord, to please you and honor you. To glorify you by executing that judgment and justice. That it wouldn't be disregarded. That it wouldn't fall in the street. But Lord, it would be done so that we would glorify you, lift up your name, your word, and who you are. In holiness and perfectness. In righteousness and in mercy. And Lord, I thank you for the salvation you've given. May we be very, very cognizant of it. May we be very lovingly desiring to remind ourselves of what we were saved from and what we are saved unto. And may we glorify you with everything that we do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, this is a time and an invitation for you to come. You don't need to, you know, there, there's nothing, if you will, special you need to do other than you just need to come and hear what the Lord says from the Word of God. There are people here that will show you what it means to trust Christ as your Savior. And if you're here today and you need that, just come. Nobody here is going to have pass any judgment upon you. They'll praise God for the work that's being done. For somebody that is coming to the Lord to receive eternal life. If you're here today, you know, when we start singing, just slip out of your seat, come up here. Tell me the, tell me that and, and I'll have somebody show you. It's an important thing that you do today. Believer, look at your life. You've already received Christ as your Savior. Make sure that there is conformity to the truth of the Word of God. Make sure you're ascertaining what that truth is daily so that you can glorify God and show His holiness, His mercy, and His compassion to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, again, I just pray these things and ask them in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.